Welcome to the Self-Publishing Queen podcast. My name is Josiane Fortin and I'm a self-published author. I'm obsessed with helping and motivating writers to publish their books and share their gift with the world. My goal with this podcast is to inspire you to take action and be the writer you want to be. Let's go! Hello, writers. I'm Josiane Fortin, and I'm happy to be interviewing Matthew Wayne Holnick. Matthew is the self-published author of 11 books, so we're going to have we're going to be learning a lot of things today. So he's writing both in fiction and nonfiction. So please, Matthew, first, tell us a little bit about you. Well, thanks, first of all, for having me. This is a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, yes, my name is Matthew Wayne Selznick. I am a fiction and nonfiction author. Uh, I've been doing uh, self-publishing since well, in terms of ebooks and paperbacks since 2005, but before that in various formats uh, since the late 90s. Uh, I'm also a creative services provider. I take what I've learned over the last couple of decades and uh, I help other authors and podcasters and other creators uh, bring their own works to fruition and to market and to an audience. And uh, yeah, I, my fiction is in a variety of genres, uh, mostly speculative fiction and fantasy. My latest book, Light of the Outsider, is, is a fantasy. But I also kind of, I don't like to really tread too closely to the, to the definitions and the and the sort I don't stay in my lane basically when it comes to genres I'm more concerned with with character and story and uh and all of that than ma matching all those tropes you know that's it in a nutshell <laughs> <laughs> and do you only self-publish on Amazon or you're using various platforms um, at the moment, uh, for the last year or so, my ebooks have been Amazon exclusive, except for one nonfiction title. Um, paperbacks, of course, are available everywhere, and the few audiobooks that I have are available everywhere. Okay. So, what does that mean, everywhere? Can I go to Barnes and Noble and buy it, or everywhere? Absolutely. Yeah. Paperbacks. Yeah. Paperbacks, Barnes, anywhere books are sold, basically online. Um, that's uh, that's the deal there. Most of my non, I mean, Amazon is the 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 huge market share, of course, you know. Um, but my paperback sales, I mean, you can go to uh, any store that's locked in with uh, with Ingram, you know. So that's anywhere. Um, even physical stores will special order it for you, you know. So okay, so you're yeah, using do... Ingram to do that. Oh, for the for the paperbacks, yes. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. And do you self-publish also on like Google or like how many platforms did you actually have to log into and upload your information into? Well, again, the eBooks are exclusive to Amazon. So uh, that's, they're only on Amazon. Um, and as far as paperback markets, you don't, you, you really only have to distribute through Ingram and then, you know, Barnes and Noble, everywhere else that sells paperback will pick up on that. Um, okay. Yeah. Sounds simple enough. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to know when and why did you decide to write your first book? How long ago was that? Wow. Okay. Well, uh, my first novel was Brave Men Run, uh, and it came out in 2005, in August of 2000, sorry, September of 2005. Uh, it was the first book so far, nobody has told me I'm wrong, the first novel in history with a simultaneous initial release in paperback and a number of ebook formats and free podcast editions. 
Um, so that allowed it a little bit of notoriety. Uh, as far as why I wrote it, um, there's a tale there. Uh, <laughs> it goes back a ways. I want to hear it. <laughs> well, um, if you go way, way back, the germ of Brave Men Run and the, uh, the Sovereign Era, which is sort of the story world that it and a few of my other books take place in, the germ of that was stories that I wrote uh, basically for the entertainment of my friends in high school, uh, which was back in the 80s. Um, and then in the late 90s, I read, this is, uh, you hear this sometimes from authors a lot, I read something that was so appallingly bad that I had purchased for money in a bookstore that <laughs> I said to myself, I, certainly I can do this and yeah. maybe do it better. Um, so uh, that was, uh, that happened to be an X-Men novelization, not an original novel in the Marvel X-Men universe. And um, so I had got me thinking, you know, I, I have these stories that I wrote as a kid that were basically superheroes or people with superpowers in the real world. And um, so I kind of took a new look at that, uh, at that story world and revised it a little bit and made it even more realistic and really thought through the world building. And in, I believe it was 1998, launched a, uh, a webzine, a magazine on the web called Sovereign Serials, where I essentially uh, in installment form every couple of weeks or so would put up a new chapter uh, of several different um, serials featuring characters in the Sovereign era. And I invited other writers to come on board and, and create their own serials in that story world, kind of creating a, a mosaic setting, a shared universe kind of similar to the model that George R.R. R. Martin used when he created with Melinda Snodgrass his uh, Wild Cards series. And um, there's other examples out there. Um, and the Sovereign Serials lasted as a magazine until about 2001. And I realized, gosh, you know, I've, I've written enough to practically have a novel here. Maybe I should be writing novels. <laughs> Maybe I should finally do that. Um, and there were a few false starts. And over the next few years, the mail that I would get, emails from people who had enjoyed Sovereign Serials repeatedly, and, and by a vast majority, they kept asking about this one character. What happens to Nate Charters? You know, you, you stopped Sovereign Serials and some of these things were left incomplete. So that was, you know, sort of uh, the market was telling me what to do, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the community was speaking. So that became my first novel, Brave Men Run, um, which was basically, again, taking another look with all that I had learned about, about craft and, and um, storytelling and story architecture and revisiting that sovereign era story world. Um, and so the difference it's, it's uh, almost an exponential growth between, of course, those stories that I wrote in high school and the, the Sovereign Serials webzine version of this story, and then the version that eventually ended up being Brave Men Run. Um, and as I mentioned, that, that book was in the fall of 2005. Podcasting was about a year old then, and I had already been a podcaster for about a year. 
And a few people that I knew, about half a dozen, were podcasting their novels. And most of these folks were people who had tried to publish through traditional means, hadn't worked out. And they thought, well, here's this podcasting thing. I'll just, why not? Just I'll throw it up there as a sort of a, an episodic, uh, serialized audiobook, if you will. And so, okay, I thought, so well, they would just read their novel over their podcast and then a chapter exactly. every, every single episode? Exactly. Yeah. The podcast was the book, basically. Okay. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, and I thought, well, how do we make it stand out? Um, a lot of these podcast novels didn't have print editions or ebook editions. I mean, remember, this was 2005. This was before Kindle existed. This was um, the era of the Sony Reader and uh, the Palm Pilot. You could read <laughs> your ebooks oh. on a Palm Pilot, you know? Yes. Um, and yeah, for those who don't know what that is, just, just look it up. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it out as a podcast as a way to market the, you know, the commercial eBooks and paperback editions. Yeah, and but then if you, if you tell the whole story over a podcast, what happens? Like people still want to buy it? What, what, absolutely. What yeah, happens? Absolutely. And that's, and you, you may have noticed this just doing a podcast. That's, that's one of the things about podcasting is it creates, there's a real sense of intimacy between the, the podcaster and the listener because you're literally, you're in their ear, you know? And um, the, the fan base around the podcast version of that, of that novel, they wanted to see, people aren't fans of books, they're fans of authors, you know? And, and with that sort of intimate connection, they wanted to see the book succeed. They wanted to see me succeed. They wanted to see me be able to continue writing. And um, so I had it set up that people could donate to the podcast. They could of course buy the ebook or the paperback. Uh, and all three of those uh, paperback ebook donations happened as well as, well, I stopped counting after about 30,000 listeners um, for the 17 episodes. And it's funny, the, people would get about halfway through the, the the podcast knowing that the whole thing was coming for them and they'd buy the book because they didn't want to wait. Okay. Or again, they wanted to see, you know, they wanted to support the author. Yeah. Um, and there, there was weeks. one chapter a week. And then once you were done with yeah. that, what happened to the podcast? Uh, well, for a long time, it was available on a website called patiobooks.com, which was sort of the the central clearinghouse for all the uh, people who were doing podcast novels that was created by uh, Evo Terra and Chris Miller and some other folks. Um, Evo Terra is still a, a, a pretty uh, prominent podcast consultant. And um, yeah, for, for years it was up on there. Uh, I came out with a revised edition of the book in 2008. And at that point uh, I pulled the original podcast uh, because it just didn't match the product that was on the market anymore. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so it was, it was very, I mean, many of the people that are still in my, my community of friends and fans today discovered me because of that podcast. It was, it did its job. <laughs> awesome. And yeah. I would like to compare like how much time it, it took you to write the first book and how much time it took you to write the last book, the latest well, book came out? Yeah, that's so. My latest book is Light of the Outsider. It's uh, in a different story world from uh, from Brave Men Run and Pilgrimage and some of my other works. It's an original fantasy in a in a totally original fantasy setting. 
Um, and I, again, that book had origins in shorter works and other, other uh, projects that I'd started over the years. I started writing the latest book uh, in the fall of <laughs> the fall of 2018 with the intention that I, I, I promoted it as the autumn project. I would be, I would complete the book in uh, you know by the beginning of the uh, of the next year and have it on the market. And then many things happened. Uh, there were my my mother became ill. There were some other deaths in my uh, immediate friends and family. There was a move, life got in the way. Uh, so that book ended up taking 19 months. Uh, <laughs> and typically, finally, how, how long does it take to write a novel? Um, well, for me, uh, yeah, that's I'm, I'm not the one to ask because Brave Men Run, as we saw, had a, a gestation of uh, decades. My second novel was about seven years after that one with other works between that. Uh, and then it was nearly another seven years between Pilgrimage and Light of the Outsider. Now, um, I could talk to you about when the next book is coming out and sort of the, the plan and the schedule that I've got for the next six years, what I call the big plan. But, uh, but yeah, um, I mean, if, if I went and looked at sort of aggregate time that it took to write that novel, uh, The Light of the Outsider, notwithstanding all the, the life issues that occurred, um, you know, it may have been closer to six months, you know, maybe nine months of actual time writing, planning, plotting, uh, and all that, not including, of course, you know, actually producing the book, you know, hiring the cover designer and, and designing the works and whatnot. Do you hire editors or, or not? Uh, yeah. Um, the I, I hire a proofreader at the least. Um, uh, I'm a developmental editor myself, and I understand story architecture pretty well, so that's that's fine. Um, I have a proofreader to catch, you know, well, to do what they're supposed to do to catch grammatical errors and things like that. Um, when possible, uh, you know, the first book, Brave Men Run. Uh, I'm sorry, I should say the second book, Pilgrimage, which is a follow-up to Brave Men Run. Um, I did a Kickstarter on that. And so the whole nine yards, I had a developmental editor, a copy editor, proofreader. Uh, I had somebody, uh, um, you know, doing the cover art, uh, Neil Von Flew, who did the cover art for both Brave Men Run and Pilgrimage. For Light of the Outsider, um, yeah, there was a proofreading run, but I do this for a living. Um, so while I don't recommend editing your own works, um, you got to do what the uh, what your resources allow you to do. Um, I'm able to create eBooks. I'm able to design paperbacks. Um, I can do uh, cover design, so long as someone else provides the actual art. Uh, you know, uh, Tim Shepard, uh, a New Zealand artist, created the art for Light of the Outsider, and then I did the typography and and the rest of that stuff. Same with Brave Men Run and Pilgrimage. I took their original art, their great original art, and I'm able to design the rest. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's for, for independent authors, you know, the, 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 the sort of the conventional wisdom is it's a business. So you have to look at the, the return on the investment, you know, um, a decent developmental editor will cost thousands of dollars. Um, you know, there are many that you can find for less, but they're not going to do 
really what a good developmental editor will do. Yeah, so, you get what you pay for. Exactly, much. exactly. You know, there's and a the reason I'm asking is that it's really hard to get a return on investment when you're just starting out. So sometimes you'll yes. like thousands of dollars into a book and then you sell like a hundred copies. So, well, my recommendation yeah. there is pay for a cover, and you know the same thing with anything else. Find a cover artist that understands book covers, not just any artist, not, not just any graphic designer. Um, there are very specific rules, but, but for, for book cover design. So find an artist who understands that, but definitely pay for a book cover. Uh, don't do your own book covers. Uh, it's, it, we've seen those, you know, we've seen what they look like when people get the, the sort of the, uh, collage of stock paper uh, or stock photograph artwork and mash it together in, in Canva and slap a title on it and there's their cover. Compare that as a reader to all the other books in your genre that you see on Amazon and ask yourself, does it stack up? Does it look as good as the ones in the top 100? You know, yeah. that's, what, uh, that's one of the places where your, your, your budget should go. The other thing is, yeah, if you can, if you can pay for any kind of editor, I would say, if you if you're just starting out, um, a, a proofreader or a copy editor, you know, um, you can go to beta readers, you can go to critique groups, to sort of fill the role as best as they can of the developmental editor, um, but pay for a copy editor or a proofreader, pay for a cover designer. And if, again, if you're just starting out, uh, budget to get a website, budget to get a mailing list. Um, and, and if possible, budget to do some advertising. Okay, sounds good. And I'm wondering after writing 11 books, what keeps you writing? What fires you and what mm. inspires you? Um, well, I can't not create. Uh, I, I literally get irritable and uh, uh, it, I'm not, you know, as the kids say, I'm not my best self when I'm not creating in some form. Um, and uh, for the most part, that's writing. Uh, I have four different story worlds for different uh, milieu uh, genre settings that I have novels and short stories and serials and all of these things that are already in one form or another planned out and figured out and in the queue, you know? And so there's only so much time to be alive. You wanna get all that stuff done, uh, that drives me. Um, if, if you wanna go a little deeper, I think I write because I'm interested in exploring and reflecting back what makes us human, um, just what makes us tick, why we act as we do, um, how people behave in, in situations of literal or moral or existential crisis. Um, what, uh, what happens, you know, when the rubber hits the, hits the road? And, you know, I, I grew up as a comic book and science fiction geek. So a lot of fantastical elements inform my work, but 
I'm primarily interested in, in character-driven stuff, uh, literary stuff, if you will, um, despite the fact that there might be superpowers and yeah. magic and whatnot. <laughs> Since you're working with authors, I, I would like to ask you, what do you feel is right now today the hardest thing about becoming a self-published author because it's very different from the days you started what do you feel is the hardest thing to do right now you know um this is this is something that i'm learning and relearning all the time uh you know in, in my own podcast uh sauna totem and, and my blog uh i i position myself as an experienced beginner because it is. It's always changing. It's it's different than it was in 2005. It's different than it was in 2010 uh, or even 2015. Um, one thing that I think people find most difficult is the recognition that we are a long way from a you know if you build it they will come kind of mentality. If if I put out a free podcast of my next novel today, it wouldn't work like it did in 2005. There's a gazillion podcasts, right? Everybody has a podcast and everybody, it seems, is a self-published author because, and this is great, the barrier to entry is so low. And that's bad because the barrier of entry is so low. Yeah, because um, there's so much competition, but also like the quality of the work. It's so, it, yeah, it varies I, so much. Like some people are really good. The work is really high quality and some other people are just pulling the market down. Well, you know, I, I, even more than the quality, I would say just the 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 amount of material in the market. Um, now, there's an audience for everybody. There really is. Um, we see this because, frankly, um, just okay novels that are pumped out every four to six weeks by some of these some authors. They do well because they're in a genre where people want a fast return. They're not looking for war and peace. They're looking for scandal, you know, or, or sort of throwaway entertainment. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that. There's an audience for everybody. But, you know, uh, it, it can be difficult to stand out from that. And that is, I think, the biggest challenge for authors. I mean, talking to authors and as an author coach, the the issue of standing out, even before that, I think it's managing expectations. Uh, I think there are people are, who are beginning as independent authors, they see what's going on. You know, they hear the Amanda Hawking stories or the Yu Howie stories or Andy Ware stories, and they think, oh yeah, people are becoming rich and famous writing independent uh, fiction. And yeah, there's a lot of people um, who are earning 50, 75, $100,000 a year just writing ebooks. But it takes a lot of work and it takes a willingness to do more than just write. Uh, and I think that's the expectation that, that doesn't exist. I think, you know, more than anything, when I talk to writers, they, uh, they're like, okay, so we, I, I write this book and we get it up on Amazon and, and I, I have a website now and I have a mailing list and uh, you made me a Facebook page, and and now what? Where where are all the where are all the purchases? Right? You have to be engaged, or you have to be willing to. I mentioned before, you have to be willing to advertise, and you have to be willing to wait, <laughs> um, and to continue writing. You know, um, there's the the saying goes that there's nothing that nothing that sells your last book better than your next. Um, 
And so I think that's the most difficult thing to, to get through people's head. I've, I've had clients who they get discouraged uh, and disappointed when, and justifiably so. Usually a first book you spend years getting to that point. It's kind of like a band in their first, first album, right? That first album is always so amazing because they've been working on it since they were in a garage when they were teenagers, you know? The second album, they've had a year, yeah. <laughs> you know? But yeah, they get discouraged, authors do, I think, because they have unreasonable expectations because they're comparing themselves to the cream of the crop. Whether And I, I say that, you know, just in terms of success, not necessarily in terms of quality, because that's, frankly, that's subjective, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the thing I would I would tell authors and that I do tell authors is manage your expectations. Recognize that this is not a a, a get rich quick thing. This you're you are not going to sell hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of your product in in your first year um, unless you already have some kind of established audience, some sort of platform and or <laughs> you're willing to build that um you know and and that means showing up you know uh it doesn't stop when you ship the book uh it in fact it begins well before you ship the book building up your community finding uh the audience for the work that will eventually come and it's um there's no shortcuts all right, very good. I I feel like a lot of people took notes about that, like a lot of <laughs> tricks about how to self-promote. That was really good. Do you have any tips on how to get more reviews on Amazon? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I can tell you what not to do. Uh, don't pay for them. Uh, and uh, but honestly. You know, the best thing you can do is ask. Um, I know you, you recently did a show on this and that's, that, that's the best thing you can do is, is make sure that you're doing the ask. You know, being an independent creator, uh, it's all about making the ask. You know, don't be afraid to say, buy my book. Don't be afraid to say, listen to this. Uh, don't be afraid to say, tell your friends. When somebody compliments me or, or does a review, like a lot of times people, because it's easy, They'll reach out to you on social media and say, hey, I really loved your book. Well, don't let it stop there. <laughs> your reply should be, wow, thank you so much. Would you please take a moment to review it on Amazon? Here's the link. <laughs> I did that like a week ago, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 same thing, you know, if 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 however people reach out to you, look, people are gonna people are gonna reach out in the way that's easiest for them. They don't necessarily think in terms of what's best for the author, and that's you know that's just human nature. They're 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 making that personal connection, which is great. It's what you want. It's what keeps people buying your books year after year after year. It builds what Kevin Kelly calls the one thousand true fans that you you need to sustain yourself. But yeah, getting reviews. I mean, I'm dealing with this with my brand new book. Uh, you know, it's eight, there's eight reviews out there. Uh, I know many more people have, have read it. Um, and every time I get that feedback, you know, in, in other channels, you got to just tell them, Hey, please take 
five minutes to write an honest review on Amazon. Um, and um, here's the link. And also, please tell everyone you know. <laughs> and do you this. include a page in the book to? to oh, absolutely! Yeah, I haven't even gotten to that. Yeah, yeah. You want to have you want to have a page in in your back matter. I mean, Amazon does this with eBooks automatically, but that is because it's automatic. It's usually just. I mean, let's be honest. You flip right past it, right? Usually, when at the end you get to the end of a book, and it's that before you go, Amazon page that automatically pops up. So yes, you have to put uh, in the content of your eBook you know, um, shortly before the end, I mean, some somewhere after the end, <laughs> but before like the last thing, the, the about the author or the acknowledgements or whatever, there should be a, you know, here's what's coming next. And if you enjoyed this, here's, you know, where you, where you can review the book. And also, here's how to get on my mailing list so I can tell you when more things are coming out. Um, and there's a whole strategy there too as well. I mean, if you can trace, if people signed up on your mailing list from a link in your book, then you should segment those people in your list. So you know, ah, these, these mailing list subscribers read the book. So you, have, you can specifically target them. Hey, have you reviewed it? You know? Um, yeah. And do you have a separate mailing list for nonfiction and fiction? I personally don't um, because I use ConvertKit, which allows you to have one list and it lets you segment that list according to, well, any factor really. And one of those factors could certainly be people who are interested in your nonfiction, people who are interested in your fiction, people who are only interested in this particular series that you write, all of that. Um, you know, it, it underneath your question is sort of another question is, should you be one author, if you will, for your entire body of work? Or should you have pen names if you switch yeah. genres or do fiction or nonfiction? Again, personally, okay, there's, there's, there's two arguments here. The first argument is Amazon has kind of forced us to think about how we as a brand, authors as a brand are represented because the algorithm will get confused if an author has five books, let's just use a random example. Let's say an author has five titles in a story world about metahumans in the real world and one novel in a fantasy setting. I don't know who that might be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Amazon's gonna get confused. They're gonna, they're gonna see, ah, well, people who looked at this also looked at that. And maybe the fantasy fans aren't interested in the superhero stuff. Right, right. So that is a challenge, however, I still maintain that over the long haul and outside of Amazon, first of all, readers are not stupid <laughs> um, and don't underestimate them. And second of all, readers are fans of authors. I said this before, they're not fans of books. They're not generally, I mean, yeah, people are fans of Harry Potter and could care less about her mysteries that she writes, right? But, um, but generally people are fans of authors, especially independent authors, it's, a connection between the author and the reader. So personally, I say one name, one brand, um, about the only concession I would, I, would, I would make for that is, you know, if I'm Matthew Wayne Selznick on my fiction books, maybe, and I don't do this, but this could be one option for people if they are uncomfortable about it, 
maybe your MW Selznick for your nonfiction books, but don't do that because that's me. <laughs> the name is taken. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing is, is ultimately, yeah, there, the, the algorithm is there that challenges us, but we can't predict what Amazon is gonna side, decide to do or if it's gonna get smarter tomorrow. Yeah. So hopefully it will. will. Hopefully it will, it. But, but, <laughs> but ultimately, what, what you should be working on, and, and I know that this advice kind of sc is scattered around your question and scattered around the point, but it all comes back to this. You should be building for a direct connection between you and your reader so that new readers will find you however they find you, you know, whether it's uh, advertising or, or uh, reviews or whatnot, social media, word of mouth, what have you. But once they're there, they should be on your mailing list so that they get to know who you are and you get to communicate with them directly in a way that is traceable. Yeah. The, 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 uh, one of the tropes of marketing is that if it's not, if you can't track it, it doesn't count. So a like on Facebook is great. Um, a, a review on Amazon is fantastic, but a like is easy, right? Bink and you're done and you move on. Um, and I have no way of following up on that person other than maybe following them on Facebook and hoping that they see my posts and whatnot. Uh, a review on Amazon, you have no way to contact that person or follow up with them other than the, the ability to comment on a review, but mm, it's not really, it, it gets weird <laughs> if authors are always commenting on reviewers on the review page. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to say ignore what the platforms, what Amazon, what what Kobo, whatever is is asking you to do, or what uh, don't you can't ignore that, but don't don't change who you are as a creator in the hopes that you're going to satisfy some black box mystery, uh, you know, on the other side of the computer screen. The only thing that's going to really sustain is you, your work, and your connection to the reader. And that should be you know, as direct as possible. Uh, I think a mailing list is the best way to do that, even over social media. But yeah, so long answer to a short question. <laughs> Say no to pen names, right? Whatever you want, find your audience. <laughs> and how often do you email your, your fans or I don't know how um, you, your readers? It varies based on what I had to tell them. I don't want to, to you know, fire hose them for no reason. My, so the way I have my mailing list set up is, yes, of course, I'm going to tell them when there's a cover reveal or when, you know, I've reached a milestone on, a, on an upcoming work or, of course, when a new work has come out. Um, they also automatically get every new blog post that I write. And they also automatically get every new uh, podcast episode. Blog posts are maybe once a month or so. Um, podcast episodes are about every two weeks. So they are getting reminders that I'm out there, you know, and they're taking in my content in a way that's super convenient for them. They don't have to go to my website. It comes to them. And also when people subscribe to the mailing list, they get a weekly serial fiction in their inbox. Um, a, uh, the serial is called Hazy Days and Cloudy Nights, and it's in the Sovereign era 
uh, story world uh, of my first two novels. Um, but it's sort of adjacent to, it's a bunch of the side characters in their lives. So they get ongoing weekly serial fiction for free, um, just for signing up. And that, um, again, that keeps, not only does it give them value, I hope, um, but it also kind of keeps me front of mind without me constantly saying, hey, I'm over here, buy my stuff, you know? Yeah, but how long is that fiction that you're writing every single week? That's a long Well, I've already written um, close to a year's worth. Uh, it, it already existed. So, uh, and, and these installments are between maybe 800 to 1200 words each. Uh, so yeah, in, in a few months, I'll, I'll, I'll write another uh, batch okay. <laughs> and, and it, it's automated, right? So I don't have to, it's not like I have to every week go in, create the email right. and you know, it's, it's, there are 50 of them in the queue ready to go. And when you subscribe, they start you with installment number one. So, um, you know, I just have to keep an eye on the first people who subscribe and make sure they always have content in their in their queue. <laughs> All right, that sounds great because I need to get working on the mailing list. That's something I've been thinking about for so long. Mm -hmm. I I just stay stuck in not knowing what to write and whatever I have, like most of my work is in French. I do translate some of it if it's nonfiction. So uh, do I... Like I would need to set up two mailing lists for English and French speakers. Mm. So I just, it gets too complicated in my mind and I just keep pushing it off. So here's, we'll here's the thing though. I mean, I mentioned segmentation earlier. Um, you really could have one mailing list, but when they subscribe or, or in their initial email that they get, you have them select, you know, do you want to get the French language or do you want to get the English language? And that when they make that selection, bang, they're, au they're automatically in sort of a sub list, you know? Like with a tag, it works with tags, right? Because yeah, I'm exactly. MailChimp, mm -hmm. so I get the tags and I have like one mailing list with everyone in it, but like I don't mail anything. I don't know what to say or, so it's kind of the part where I'm stuck, but it's a good idea where I could just manage one thing and then just maybe have the French side and then the English side. Right. Yeah, right. it sounds and, easier just there. And as far as, as the content, I mean, you're putting out a podcast, so you have regular content that you could be sharing with your list, you know. Um, there's, uh, again, I don't, I have these autumn, like you do, I have content that comes out semi-regularly, so there is stuff that you can feed to them. Other than that, you know, I mean, there are some authors who they do, they do a weekly newsletter. Um, I'm actually thinking of starting something like that. I'm going to be surveying my list um, actually next week uh, to see what the interest is, you know, and further segment them to make sure that as they grow, they're getting what they want. But um, I don't think you need to feel like you have to always have something for for a mailing list, you know, um, something that again you're all you could be giving them the podcast episodes every week. Um, you could be doing blog posts that you already do, you know, that kind of thing. And when there's something else to say, then you have the, the platform to say it. My bottom line there is the mailing list isn't about you. It's about the value that you can provide to your subscribers. Um, and if you continue to provide the value, 
when you do send something that's about you, hey, I, I wrote something, can yeah. I need your five bucks now? Uh, <laughs> they're more willing to, uh, to do that because they've, they've got so much great content from you. And again, they have built this connection with you. They've come to be familiar with you and your work and what you represent and all of that. They, real fans, and this is why I refer to them as a community, they are our peers, mm -hmm. you know, they, we as authors, uh, we don't get too far without the people who read our stuff. Uh, fiction, especially, is a collaborative effort. It's a collaborative experience between the writer and the reader. Um, no matter how clearly and deliberately we write our fiction, every person who reads it experiences it differently. That's why the so, movie is never like we've imagined. That's why the, movie. the characters don't look like they imagined them. Exactly, exactly. And 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 so we have to remember that that the reader is our collaborator. The re the reader is our peer. Um, Mike Watt, the, the the bass player, has a saying. You know, um, if you look up to somebody, you look down on somebody, you're going to get a crick in your neck. Look eye to eye, as equals. No crick. <laughs> no pain. Uh, and, and that's, I think that's how independent authors have to approach this idea. It's not your audience, it's your community. And so your mailing list is how you are giving to your community. Because in, in the giving, they will want to give back to you with their support, with their uh, word of mouth promotion, with, uh, with their money eventually. And yep. whenever you ask them to. So yeah, get yourself a mailing list. Don't, don't wait anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because every time you do an episode, those are our listeners who you're not getting on your mailing list. Right, so right. It, it, it's never too early to start. Uh, I, tell, I tell authors when they approach me, you know, all right, well, it, where are you on your book? Okay, is it done? Okay, it's done. So um, where are you on your social media, on your website, all that stuff? Oh, I haven't done any of that stuff. I was waiting for the book to come out. No, six months to a year, if possible, before your book comes out. All that stuff should be established. Um, because you want to have people to tell about the book. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> or the podcast or what have you, you know, so... Yeah. yeah, that makes so much sense. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us today. It was so much fun hearing all the advice that you have. Like, I can hear that you have a lot of experience. So, That's and what I do. <laughs> let us know, like, if people want to learn more, uh, want to buy your books, where can they connect with you? Well, you can find everything about me and my works and the work that I do for others at mattselznick.com. That's M-A-T-T-S-E-L-Z-N-I-C-K.com. Um, you can also, if you Google my name, I, I've, I've been around for long enough that lots of stuff will come up, including, of course, my website. Um, you can find um, everything I do is at Amazon. Um, the eBooks are in, um, uh, Kindle Unlimited. So if you're already a Kindle Unlimited subscriber, my stuff is there available for no more than the cost you're already paying. Um, and uh, yeah, best place to go is mattselznick.com. And you can find all the links there. 
Uh, I am on Facebook and Instagram as Matthew Wayne Selznick Creates uh, and, and Twitter as Matt Selznick. And uh, yeah, come on down. Okay, <laughs> Reach out. Have enough time to write it down. Don't worry. I'll share the links in the show notes. So you just have to go look it up there. So yeah. thank you so much, Matthew, for being with us today. Thank you. It's been a blast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. If you loved what you heard, be sure to share it with me by leaving me a review. If you are ready to publish your book, let me take your hand in my course, How to Self-Publish on Amazon. I will show you every step you need to take to successfully go through the publishing process on the platform. Keep on writing, 